love sushi, I love Japan. My social life has hit the fan. All I have is anime, so I guess there's just one thing to say. Guru Gamesh, my life's a mess. My figure collection is racking up debt. My wife has left, my house is gone. Time to get my butt to Sakura Con. Guru Gamesh. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the USS Garugamesh, its 55-minute mission to explore strange new podcasts, to seek out and explore new ways of monetization, to boldly go where many white men have gone before. Welcome to the Grugamesh Podcast, and I'm so excited today. We're covering a very famous science fiction franchise. We're covering the Star Trek The Next Generation manga series. Fantastic. What about the animated Star Trek series as well? No! Oh. Oh, it's a shame. Absolutely none of that. That's my favorite one. It's it's a moving motion comic. I, I, I watched the anime of the Mario thing. After Gabe told us about it in the ball pit. But, but that doesn't have any scenes where two white people lecture a weird alien with makeup about racism. You don't know you don't know that. <laughs> Knowing the super show, it probably does. Anyway, uh today we'll be tackling uh, a galaxy far, far away. It's Star Wars Visions, and we've kind of wanted to do this for a while because when this was first announced. I blew my bloody socks off because this was all I ever wanted, aside from to not live in constant fear of being a failure. But honestly, I'd take a Star Wars anime more than I would that. So, as much as we are the, the eternal gurus of all things anime, um, Vic, you and I specifically know too much about this dumb fucking space samurai franchise that I think it is actively ruined our lives. It has ruined my life, to be honest. <laughs> we both spent far too much time either talking or learning about Star Wars. Most of the time we're like, oh, they did this, didn't they? Oh, no. Oh, God, yeah. And we've actually had to explain to each other. Oh, yeah, we've had to sort of, we, we've had to sort of, we're like old men recounting war stories to each other. We're try, trying to explain the expanded universe that some of elements of which we, it, it's, we are a minefield of canonicity between us. So this will be a very fun episode for Gabe today. Yeah, it'd be great. Who's just sitting in the corner. I mean, hey, look, I like Star Wars. I do. I'm not going to say that I don't, but I, I am far... Far from as deep into the expanded universe as these two Muppets. As There you go, there's a Muppet right there. A slur, you say? 1984, this is not? Cancel you, I will! (laughs) Was Yoda being an SJW? Social Jedi Warrior! That is good. I mean, the, the whole Jedi Council is basically a metaphor for people who fight for righteous causes, but kind of just sit on their ass all day, so... Yeah. Oh, okay! Yeah, the Jedi don't <laughs> not, really do that Not much. at all! Not at all, like, deeply disturbing and prescient of our current time! Yeah, no, absolutely not. None of that. You, you, are, you, are you saying that Star Wars has political intrigue? I won't have it. I don't like no, politics in my media, No Vikram. politics in my space 
story about fighting an evil empire. Exactly. So anyway, I love space fascists. They're the best. <laughs> anyway, let's get into the actual show. Okay, so we're going to be doing a couple things in this episode. The first of which we will be going through each of the nine short films that were commissioned by Disney and made by a variety of famous and upcoming Japanese animation studios. I like most of these shorts and we're going to have a lot of fun. But in order to spice this up, because there's varying degrees of information to talk about between various of these short films. So me and Vic are going to ask Gabe whether an obscure sentence from the expanded universe is actually factual or not. And he's going to lose his fucking mind. I mean, basically, we're asking him a bunch of true and false questions. Yep. I mean, you're going to have difficulty with that because I've already, A, I've already lost my fucking mind. And B, I'll probably just say yes to everything. So I'm like, you know what? Star Wars is big enough. It's probably happened. We anticipated that. That's yes. why we've thrown in some false flags, some red herrings. Mm. Actually, can't. Our powers have doubled since the last time you met us. So before we discuss the first short, I think we kind of need to have a brief discussion of how we got to here, because Star Wars and anime have a very intrinsic history together, in the sense that when Star Wars came out, Japan was like, holy shit, let's do that forever! Yeah, basically, Star Wars has had this massive impact on anime. Like, it's kind of silly, it's kind of crazy. Oh, it's ridiculous, from Mobile Suit Gundam to um, retroactively with Space Battleship Yamato, despite the fact that Yamato came first, they were like, huh, maybe we should do what that billion-dollar American series did. Maybe that will help us. Um, the influence of it on just sci-fi anime in general Hell, from release onwards. Hell, the animators in Daikon 4 directly include so, many, so much Star Wars iconography. That alone cements the original trilogy in particular that it cements its place in like just the canonicity of Japanese sci-fi fandom. It's created this weird sort of feedback loop where because of how he like Star Wars was very heavily influenced by a lot of samurai films yes. by Chambara, which we will discuss. George Lucas is unironically the original weeb. Yeah. And so a franchise that was very heavily influenced by Japanese media had a very heavy influence on Japanese media. And that, that, and that Japanese media has subsequently had a very heavy influence on the fucking franchise in question. That's like poetry and rhymes. Hello, it is me, George Lucas. Uh, uh, I, 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 I don't regret selling Star Wars, but I've, I've run out of money uh, due, to, due to certain addictions of mine. Whatever, would anyone like to donate to my Kickstarter for Red Tails 2? No, George. Oh. I thought you were going to go Howard the Duck or uh, the how Holiday Special 2. Do, do not question me. I will use my magic powers on you. Go make your weird home movies. Or Indiana 5, because basically that's kind of what he did for Indiana 4. Just, you know, he said, oh, please give me money. Come over here and say that to my fucking face. You know what, you, you know what, you don't have four fucking billion dollars. I fucked your mom. Uh, George! Unfortunately, we've had to uh, remove George Lucas from the podcast, um, but we thank him for his he, time. He handed me like 12 terabytes of Twi'lek pornography before he left. That's so. terrifying. Uh, I ain't complaining. So, this, as I mentioned, this was kind of my dream, and to sort of get a reference of how we got here, you may think that it's kind of out of the blue for Disney to commission a Star Wars anime, but... I'm surprised this didn't happen sooner. Yeah. Because from the 2003 Gendi Tartakovsky uh, 
Clone Wars micro series, which was incredibly Japanese influence. Obi Wan Kenobi does an Akira slide in that show. Oh yeah, sure, I forgot about that. Yeah, no, it's the it's the coolest shit ever. And that was the closest we got to a 2D Star Wars anime. Then with the 3D Star Wars, the Clone Wars series, uh, several pieces of anime directly influenced it. For instance, um, Dave Filoni has gone on record saying that the Bones animated series from 2003, Wolf's Reign, directly influenced uh, the lighting engine of the Clone Wars to sort of like make skin look more, shall we say, palatable and less like claymation figures which is which was something they were struggling with that's really neat actually yeah no it is so star wars animation and from like rebels has quite a a lot of both chambara and anime influences star wars is kind of and even like resistance which i know isn't great but that was commissioned and animated by a japanese studio so hell we can actually we can actually presuppose all this because lucas himself was like majorly inspired by the anime, like, uh, sorry, not the anime, by Japanese cinema. Oh, no, I'm, that's very much true, but, like, I'm really surprised at the animation department of, of Lucasfilm, which is way bigger than people give it credit for, hasn't kind of just done this on its own accord. Because anime kind of does this every now and again, where a compilation collection with with a cool, big, popular, dedicated American fan base like the, like the, like the Matrix... Halo, Batman, will just commission anime shorts that people will consume briefly, talk about for a bit, and then will forget they exist. And this continues on in that weird tradition. Exactly, there's something I wanted us to bring up before we dive straight into it, because it's a part of this weird tradition that comes from, I'd say, the Animatrix onwards of Western franchises hiring anime studios to make- Cool shit! Like, literally, they'll always be like, uh, yeah, I love you. You want to play with my universe? Yeah, here, have all of it. Here are no restrictions. For the po- for something like Visions to pop up, what, like last year it came out? Or the year yeah. before? Like, it's weird because this sort of tradition kind of peaked around the late 2000s. Yeah, so we- late 2000s, the likes of like, like Batman, Gotham Knight, and Halo Legends came out pretty close to one another you in the late 2000s. You also have a load of OVAs from things like, say, BarioWare Studios, like Mass Effect and Dragon Age. Oh, I forgot about the Mass Effect anime, Christ! Like, I forgot about the Dragon Age anime. Yeah, there's loads of things like that. Floating oh around. yeah, there's like, also a Dead Space anime, Christ! Um, there's also all of the... No, I don't think the Dead Space was an anime. Oh, Dead fair Space enough. was just animated. But there's also all of the fucking Marvel TV shows that came out around like 2010, 2011. I remember those. Um, unfortunately. The X-Men anime had so much titty in it. Did it? <laughs> Everyone, well, here's the thing, it was like a j- everyone had, like, madhouse designs, so Storm and Jean Grey were fucking stacked! <laughs> of course they were. Um, okay, so look, course, look, we'll do an episode on the X-Men anime for that sole reason I mean, eventually. Purely I... just to indulge Jay's horniness. Yes! So, but the point is that- This was an inevitability, this yeah. was not a surprise. No one should have been surprised by this, and yet I'm we were. Surprised, surprised? But I'm like- we're talking about, dude, we're talking about visions. We've stopped talking about titties. Okay. <laughs> I mean, like, visions and titties are like, they go hand in hand. So, visions is. How kind of my theme. vision titties do? When 900 years old you are, pull as much poon you will not! Is Yoda finished? He is now. Very good. Now go back to Space 4chan, Yoda. Uh. You mean the archives? 
<laughs> yes, they appear to be incomplete. Yoda's Yoda's helping them, <laughs> helping fill them out. Fuck sick. Uh, okay. The the Kaminoan uh, Masutra. There we go. That's that's what it's Excellent. called. <laughs> you were saying, sorry, okay. earlier. Visions is kind of the natural conclusion of that whole trend. And honestly, I'm surprised that it took this long to come about, but I'm kind of glad that it took this long to come about because I'm just going to say, Vision rocks. Vision's fucking rocks. It's really fun. Real good. I think in terms of positivity, I think me and Gabe are pretty positive on this. You're a little ambivalent to a lot of these. I'm mixed. So there's no better time to jump onto it. That is the first... I'm just going to call them OVAs, because that's essentially what they are. Effectively. So the first OVA, Duel, by the studio uh, Kamikaze Dogard, directed by uh, Takinobu uh, Mizuno, and written by uh, yeah Takashi uh, Okuzaki. There we go. So this one was basically made to get everyone hooked. Yes, and I will say it had got me hooked straight away. As soon as it started, I was just like, yep, sold. Even people who don't necessarily might not be in like the animex kind of sort of crowd would be drawn to this for just its cool ass action with a scratchy art style. And in many ways, Kamikaze Doga was the perfect studio to to kind of choose this. Yes. They're responsible for the JoJo's Bizarre Adventure opening, specifically the ones using 3D. Okay, I I also loved this one as well. Mm-hmm. And you were right. Everyone on the internet loves this one. It's 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 impossible not to like it because it's sort of it it's genetically engineered to just be, yeah, you want cool samurai stuff with the laser sword and force force powers? Yeah, cool, here you go. Yeah, it's bringing style. I think this is something we'll touch on quite a lot because a lot of these shorts touch on this theme is that it brings Star Wars back to its Chambara roots. Yeah, and also Ronin is a very key word to use a lot of times during these shorts. Uh, Ronin essentially was a Japanese samurai who was masterless, which is a big theme that plays into a lot of these shorts as the idea of isolation. It's a, it's a very common theme. Just wander like, just it's it's essentially the Japanese equivalent of the lone gunman in terms of Chambara cinema. I would say so. Yeah, but I just wanted to point out like the 3D animation is mm. spectacular. Genuinely, you forget it's 3D animated at points a fair <laughs> few times. And like and I mean that in a positive sense because mm. 3D animation has got a very bad rap over the years. Well, specifically 3D anime, because I think what a lot of people don't seem to understand is one when you look at the likes of 3D anime, say, to, like, 3D American animation, you need to remember, one, Japanese animation has eternally been on a shoestring budget and production schedule in comparison to... For instance, I'll give you an example. One episode of the 3D Clone Wars series would be on an approximate budget of 2 million US dollars circa 2010 and would take about half a year to complete. Japan would cut that in half, slice it again, and just pick it apart for good measure. Now, budget just doesn't necessarily equate to quality product. That's often a misconception no, in the I anime agree. discourse. But what it does allow is it allows for proper planning, it allows for proper scheduling, getting specific like talents in, say, if you need someone who's really good at character acting animation, get someone who's really good at, say, mechanical drawing. It allows you to seek out specific talent. And if anything, these OVAs have really given a chance for these studios to kind of go buck wild and kind of just completely 
shrug off the pressure of serialized animation and kind of just return to this pure sense of creativity. It's like the Disney, you can really see the impact of the Disney budget on this show. Like all of the shorts are animated beautifully and the pedigree behind them is stunning. Well, most of them are just 10 to 15 minutes, which was a mandate, which probably was like, yo, go wild with this cool concept to just make a cool short film. And specifically with The Jewel in particular, the pedigree behind it kind of makes it perfect for that hook that you were talking about. This is, there's a reason this is like the second biggest image you see on the poster other than like the logo. So the director, Takanobu Mizuno, is also the director of Batman Ninja. Yes, I was going br- to bring that up. So he has a presence in this sphere already of, hey, I've already worked on effectively an anime product of a Western like franchise. Yeah, no, you could not get any other studio or any other team to work on this. What I also find very interesting is that the writer for this, Takashi Okazaki, is the mangaka of Afro Samurai. That's fucking rad! Yeah. Uh, but it kind of makes sense though, doesn't it? It's essentially, it's a similar story, only less slurs and less beheadings. But again, you think about it. Even oh, visual oh. styles, though. Mm. It, it kind of looks similar, but for yeah. Samurai, again, it's another one of these anime that was built par- almost primarily for a Western audience. Oh, 100%. So it, you can see their thought process behind this, and it makes a lot of sense because it's give, A, giving a spotlight to that talent, and that talent is absolutely fucking smashing it. It, it, it was a... F- I don't know. I can't say anything more than... The only thing that I could say that, like bugged me about this was that it was very clearly drawing inspiration from Akira Kurosawa uh, movies, more specifically uh, Yojimbo and Seven Samurai, those two movies in particular, because you could tell from the layout of the town, the aesthetics, it was like transparently Akira, uh, sorry, Kurosawa. Um, And the only thing that kind of bugged me is they would try to include a choppy thing and... Kira Kurosawa is famous for his ability to capture motion. Um, he's literally considered by some of the film directors, uh, like among AAA studios, like the Beethoven of motion because of how good he is at like filming natural, um, like whether it be wind or fire or smoke or snow or rain and really making that movement ever more inclusive to the frame and make make everything feel so much more amazing. And it was kind of sad that they didn't really try and touch on that in this duel, but I am nitpicking beyond nitpicking. I'm trying to find the finest hairs that are out of place. It was a really good thing. It was a really great... I think that's kind of all we have to say on the duel. I'll say this up top. We're not going to be doing so much synopsises of all of these because I do encourage everyone to track down these little shorts and give them a viewing because I think most, if not all of them, are definitely worth your time. But now we're moving on to probably the most controversial entry in this whole selection and one I'm going to attempt to defend because I am the most positive of the next short, Tatooine Rhapsody by Studio um, Colorado. Uh, directed by uh, Taku Kimimura and written by uh, uh, Yasumi Aratarayashi. And this essentially is a little different because it's not a story of necessarily resistance fighters. It's a story of a Jedi Padawan who escaped Order 66 and just joined a rock band. 
and it's animated in this very sort of chibi cutesy style. And I understand it clashes and it's the most traditionally anime of all of them. But I really enjoyed this. And it's mainly because it's really goofy. It's quite silly. Doesn't take itself too seriously. There are there are moments. And I the climax doesn't involve an action scene. It involves a J-Rock song. And I really like that. I thought it was quite clever to they they solve the issue of their predicament. One of their band members gets captured because he owes money to Jabba the Hutt. Or he's a or like or he's a relation of Jabba the Hutt, I believe. And they solve it by performing a show so good that they're like, "You sign us, and we'll be exclusive to Jabba the Hutt's gang." And I just thought that's a, that's a neat that's a that's a neat little premise. Maybe this that's yeah. I think I have the most negative opinion out of the three of us on it. Well, I think we should sort of disclose that. I don't mean this in a dickish way. You have the most narrow sort of preference when it comes to anime, I think, of all of us here. And this definitely wasn't your aesthetic. Or oh, no. Tone. So to be clear, this was to give the listeners a, a, an idea. This was vaguely chibi sort of-esque anime style. It was very cutesy. It was very straightforward. This is not up my... Str- this was already in bad roads for mm. me. Um... So, because it's just not my aesthetic. It doesn't mean I can't enjoy those things, but it is a factor that may have inhibited me from enjoying it more than I could have. I think my biggest problem with it is a yes, it's very straightforward. It's a if you're into a fun, simple story, it actually works. The synopsis that Jay gave is pretty accurate. I just found it very boring. Um, That's fair. And that's that's understandable, just the difference in taste. Um, I would have liked a bit more of a difference. I thought there was a weird thing with the Chekhov's gun of, hey, his microphone's a lightsaber, what's going on there? And then nothing ends up happening with it? I would defend that as he kind of chooses to reforge it, as, because his microphone isn't necessarily a lightsaber. His microphone becomes one. Because he's like, hey, it's just a microphone. Instead of like, the the, the traditional thing would be to have a traditional Return of the Jedi Sarlacc Pit-esque escape sequence, but they choose to kind of follow their passions as musicians rather than do the... I don't deny that. Because here's the thing, in this compilation, we have a... I think we'll get into our issues with the fact that a lot of these stories are very samey, but this this compilation has enough Jedi action that I kind of forgave it. Gabe, do you have anything to add to this? Because we're going in circles here. Oh, yeah. The only thing I was going to add before Gabe jumps in is that I've realized, as a, we, me and Gabe were talking very specifically, uh, we were talking about it, and I realized that they, the way the plot is sort of structured, it's almost like a Miyazaki film in the sense that you're supposed to ride on the feelings, mm. not necessarily the substance and like the technicalities of the plot. It's emotional resonance over logical consistency, and 100%. I, yeah, and the problem... I think I found was that I wasn't on board with the emotional. I didn't feel the ups and downs the way I think the short wanted me to feel it, which sucks because for the most part, it was actually edited, uh, animated really well. It was nice and bright and colorful. I might throw in the ending song as well. The Japanese version. God bless you, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, but you're not necessarily... Yeah, I was going to say the dub version, wasn't it? He's trying his best, but he's... Like, it was fine. He's not, this song was not written for his octaves. I feel, I feel bad for him. Yeah, it was not him. I'm sure he tried his best. <laughs> 
I like this short, but I would say that it is probably my least favorite out of the whole anthology. And that's not necessarily because I think it's bad per se, but it just didn't hit me as strongly. I just kind of watched it and went, oh, that was a fun, that was a fun little 15 minutes. That was quite chill. I actually quite like the art style. I think it's really cute and fun to see characters like Boba Fett drawn in a really chippy art yeah, style. Yeah, and the fact that like Boba Fett is crowd surfed when they're playing their initial gig. That's so funny. And the fact that it's Temuel Morrison who's actually voicing him in the dub. It's like, I really appreciate the lightheartedness of it because a lot of these shorts can be, are very serious. Very sort of, and especially sort of anime melodrama series, it yes. helps. But this, this is a nice little breather. I think it would have been better off being placed a little bit later. Yeah, that is, okay, so I think that might be its problem why so many people are a bit mad on Tatooine Rhapsody is the fact that it comes directly after something very distinct and self-serious and anime samurai action. If it was like halfway through, I think yeah. people might have yeah. been a little more adjacent to it, but with this over and done with, it's time for Gabe's first Star Wars trivia question. Okay. Gabe, in the Star Wars universe, there is a type of music known throughout the Outer Rim as jizz wailing. True or false? True. Ding, 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 correct. Bitchin. Jizz wailing is known as an actual Star Wars method of music that George Lucas made canon. <laughs> that sounded ridiculous enough to be true. Just like the, well, this was probably written in the 70s or the 80s. Oh no, this shit was like probably one of his notes in the mid-2000s. Fucking. Jesus right. Christ, George. Alright, fair enough, that's one point to Gabe. So yeah. The Twins by Studio Trigger is uh, directed by Hiroyuki Imaishi and written by uh, Hiroroni uh, Wakabayashi. And this one is... Hey, Studio Trigger, you want to do a Star Wars? Yeah, we'll do a Star Wars. Okay, that's very good. And that's the plot. Yeah, this is effectively Promare in Star Wars. Oh, yeah, this is 100% Studio Trigger. It's their classic art style. The things that you'll know them for, so like infamously Kill a, uh, kill, a kill, if you know that art style, it's imagine that. Yeah, Susio was the character designer for this, yeah. and the fact that uh, the plot is that Leo Skywalker is, is what I'm calling Neil Patrick Harris's character. <laughs> and, uh, and his sister have a big fight because he's like, yeah, the dark side's not based or whatever. And um, and she's sitting going, the dark side, the dark side is based. What are you talking about, bro? <laughs> they're both, in fairness, hang on, they're both born into the dark side, yes. created by science and blah, blah, blah. The brother, as soon as this plot comes into the, as soon as you come into the story, the brother turns away and then it turns in the most, turns into the most strange, unusual saber fight, I guess? Yeah, essentially, Hiroki Maishi is no stranger two bombastic action sequences that are loosely stringed together for the sake of just being cool. Ever since his days key animating FLCL, this man has sort of thrived on scratchy bombastic action. And if anything, this is this this whole short's objective is to just make you go, oh yo, that's pretty cool, yo. The hot the, the, the their main vehicle is two Star Destroyers duct taped together with a big laser cannon. And the laser cannon is just like an overpowered lightsaber on the yes. second one. Yep. I would say that the entire point of this short is just to take like really over-the-top lightsaber battles to their logical fucking conclusion. And have them in space! 
Yes. Yep. And just fucking run with it. Yeah. Like, yep. I don't give a shit about the plot in this. That's you don't even give a shit that, like, they're, they're literally standing in space, and normally Star Wars has enough sense to go, oh no, the Jedi's can't just stand No, no, up. hey, it's so cool. The coolest moment of this entire short is where Leo Skywalker pulls a motherfucking Goemon Ishikawa using an X Wing going at hyperspace to perform an ultimate shonen galaxy wide lightsaber strike and it is the coolest shit i have ever it was seen really fun it was very fun to lean away from the holy shit this is fucking awesome side of the short it's beautifully animated it really is it's as much as i would as much as i think that studio trigger is we will no doubt cover some of their anime at some point in the future but I have been somewhat critical of the fact that they have, like, two good ideas in terms of plot and kind of reuse a similar, pleasing, if not very store-brand trigger aesthetic. But when used with a great lighting engine, amazing storyboarding, and just a sense of simplicity and fun, I can see why it's become their mainstay. And in a short of this length, because it's what, it's not even 15 minutes. No, it's about 12. With this, with that sort of length, there's not really much space to develop any kind of significant plot. So they don't bother. And which is in, in oh, retrospective, no, it's a wise decision. I think this is one of the best for that thing specifically, because yeah. one uh, criticism we can levy against most of the short here is that it feels for almost all of them, the third act feels very rushed um, for almost all of the shorts. And that's like a, sadly a problem of all short films in general, but it's, it's not a problem here. No, it's just the consequence of the form, but obviously Trigger have just kind of looked at that and gone, I mean, eh, we don't give a fuck. It's not a problem if we don't have a plot. <laughs> uh, I mean, if you look at Hiroyuki Maishi's career, his usual writing partner, uh, Kazuya Nakashima, responsible for penning uh, Good on Lagan, Kill a Kill, uh, Thunderbolt Fantasy, Promare. He actually isn't present during this, so Yasumi Atarashi actually manages to just do the most minimal story beats possible just for the sake of letting Yamaishi do his thing, and in this one circumstance, it's very welcome. They make it work. Yeah, so from one of the most memorable uh, shorts, let's To move another! Oh, are we? There is a duo in the Star Wars universe. Right. Who are responsible for every single significant event in the entire story. Like, we're talking Boba Fett's fall into the Sarlacc pit. Like, they are responsible for almost all of it. Okay. Their names are Tag and Bink. True or false? That's got to be false. It's true! <laughs> Fuck off. Yeah, no, um, Mark Rubio was the writer of a Tag and Bink uh, comic miniseries where uh, uh, two, two just unsuspecting Padawans called Tag and Bink managed to live throughout the entire Star Wars saga, influencing every aspect. They feed advice to Anakin whilst he's flirting with Padme, so that's where he comes up with the sand line. Yeah, um, right. They, they are the core, in part, the cause of the sand line. You know the oh, it's yeah. coarse and rough yeah. because everyone. because it's two twelve-year-olds trying to flirt. <laughs> uh, they join the Rebel Alliance in order to meet chicks, but then they accidentally stow aboard the Death Star. 
Um, they accidentally erased the Jedi archives because they hit Control Alt Delete. So, uh, yeah. You have to please tell me you're fucking. No, joking. this is no. this is canon. <laughs> like uh, this was a comedy comic series in the mid two thousands that George Lucas loved so much he made it canon. <laughs> and I one day want Tag and Bink to be made canon in the new Disney acquired universe because it's just so fucking funny it's such like i know we're usually an anime podcast but seriously track down this mini series it's such a good time i i I, I didn't know that this was a series it's only five issues it's really good this is fucking gold i'm gonna read this every five wrong things george lucas does (laughs) one amazing thing that just pulls you right back Oh, George, we sometimes we forget why we love you so much. All right, so uh, that's one to us, one to Gabe. So moving on to the village bride. I don't care for this one. <laughs> well, reasons. Why do you not care? Look, okay, so when I say this, um, I should probably flip to my notes. Oh my god, I forgot to make notes on this one. <laughs> oh god. Um, Gabe, quickly look up who directed and which studio did this because- Hang on, I'm I... pretty sure I have it here. I've got a little list. Okay, so in my defense, it's not that I don't like this one, I just think it's very boring. Hang on, I will get up the director and writer, etc. So what what are your views on this, Jack? Uh, I like the aesthetic. Um, a bunch of nothing happens. Uh, I think the short-haired girl's yellow lightsaber katana's cool. And nothing else matters, I think. I don't remember much of this, and I remember my emotional response so being shrugging. So the director is Hitoshi Haga. The writers are Takahito uh, Unishi and Hitoshi Haga, and it was produced by Chimera Citrus. Fair enough. So I actually never heard of Chimera Citrus. What? Okay, so I'm going to hand this off to you, Gabe, because... I've basically expelled all of my thoughts. I thought this this one was fine. I liked the Oh, they've made uh they made two, three animated series, Made in Abyss, Review Starlight and The Rising of the Shield. Here. Holy shit, they made Revenue Starlight and Made in Abyss. My golly goodness. Okay, so we might need to talk more about this. The, this is this is this is an upcoming anime studio that's kind of made waves for uh doing very high-profile adaptations. Uh, like Made in the Abyss made waves in the Western anime community. Uh, Revenue Starlight has a big following uh, on cult circles on the internet. Uh, Rising the Shield Hero was a very big for a little bit. It was one of those sort of isekai that kind of was on was on everyone's mind to watch seasonals that happens every single year. So okay, so that doesn't surprise me. They were contacted to make a Star Wars short. Um, I'm just trying to think of more positive things to say about it. I. Um- I will say that I quite, I quite like it. It's not so. It's not the standout. It's not one of the shorts that I will say oh, this is one of the best in the collection. It just feels like it's a very good natural part of it. It's just it has a lot of neat ideas. It's dealing with a side of Star Wars that we don't necessarily get to see on the sort of like main side of the franchise and the films and that of hey, this is just some people living on a planet living with nature, taking it very back to just basic, stripping away a lot of the sci-fi elements and just focusing on a very simple, a very simple story of, hey, the the village chief's daughter is getting married, but also bandits are kidnapping her. Like... And then the separatists show up? Yeah, and... No, separatists aren't in this. No, no, no. No, No, it's because they reprogram separatist droids. 
And there's also a Jedi Padawan who's just kind of there for whatever reason. And she does some some cool sword fighting stuff. I really like her lightsaber because it is shaped like a katana and it looks fucking great. Um, The animation's very nice. It's very pleasant. It looks very pretty. The character designs are very appealing and I like the sort of almost video game watercolor backgrounds. I thought it was, um, I was mildly positive, we'll say. I think it was light enough on plot that I could just focus on the visuals and like what was going on and the yeah. feel of the thing. Um, so I actually wasn't that like fussed either way. Like it was just kind of. It's it's fun. I'd say it's one of the weaker entries, but that yeah. doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. It's just quite, it's quite pleasant. It's nice. Yeah. It's like a little, it's a little bit of a breather between some of the heavier episodes and some of the more intense ones. Cause this is a bit of a longer one. I think this one runs about 15 minutes or so, mm. maybe a little bit more. Which given how little plot there is, it's which is fine. It's just nice and meditative. Luckily, yeah, like I said, like I said, it's luckily it's not a big deal because mm. it's for the most part, even if it is one of the weaker, and, oh, it uh, is one of the weaker. It, it's a wor- it's a worthy addition to this collection. Yeah. Oh no, um, I would say that at the very least, if nothing else, I think it's a distinct enough animation style from all the others uh, in agree. truth that it actually does uh, provide its breather yeah. in that way as well. Because yeah. it's animated well, but in a different way to the yeah. others, which I appreciate. That's fair enough. My closing comments would be that it's a very nice breather mm-hmm. for the rest of the anthology, and it's worth watching as a part of it. Fair enough. I will have to give it a second uh, a second look. But that being said... Gabe's trivia question round three! Gabe, are you ready? Okay. Chewbacca. Right was meant to have a British voice. And Darth Vader was meant to have a Scottish voice. So the Vader being Scottish thing, I did know. I'm pretty sure that's true. Or at least he was played by a Scottish actor. Some fucking shit. No, so the Vader thing is that he was acted by a Scottish dude who was speaking in a Scottish brogue, and then they dubbed over the Scottish accent when they realised that it didn't really work in the costume. I don't know about the Chewbacca thing. That sounds weird and made up. I'm going to give him half a point for this. It's a, tr- it's sort of a trick question. Yes. yes. As as far as I know, Vader wasn't necessarily meant to have a Scottish accent, but they didn't tell the actor who was playing Vader. Yeah, David Prowse had a career of being screwed over by Lucasfilm. But simply put, there is a version somewhere where Vader has a uh, Vader has a Scottish <laughs> yeah, accent, it's but it's never been official. Nor was it really intended. Same goes for Chewbacca, funnily enough. Chewbacca, I think, at one point was uh, voiced by someone with a British accent. No, that's the dumb. That's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. No, 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 no. No, No, I like. I believe you, but I'm more talking about the why would you give the walking carpet a British accent? What the fuck are you doing, Lucas? Thank God you didn't do that. My movies are perfect when I keep adding to them. Donate to my Kickstarter so I can make them better again. That's what every re-release he's ever done is. Black McClunky to every sentence. When are we getting the re-release of THX with fucking... When do you, when do you give me my fucking money? You have enough money, George. No, I don't. What are you doing? Get off from podcast. This is the only voice I have. My family won't talk to yeah. me anymore. Honestly, I think I prefer Grunkle Greg to George Lucas on the podcast. George Lucas is the opposite for me. He loves new technology. I hate it. 
Everything should just be made on stone tablets these days. Star Wars this, Star Wars that. You're just a fucking ripoff of Flash Gordon, the true original Star Wars anime. Beautiful. Um, this is the best one. The Ninth Jedi by Production IG, written and directed by Kenji Kamayama. This is my favorite, mainly because it feels like a pilot to a Star Wars TV series. It's such a cool concept. It's about Jedi blacksmithing, about Jedi being drawn to receive their sabers and the sabers color depends on their connection to the force. I love so many concepts in this. Production IG were born to make this anime. They smashed it with this episode in terms of production quality and just the amount of ideas that are on display that fit in very well, that blend very well with the Star Wars universe. It felt like an organic extension of the Star Wars universe. It felt, everything felt extremely diegetic to this particular interpretation. Like, uh, the mechanical designs were in line with that used universe aesthetic, but at the same time it felt like its own spin. It was the perfect blend of traditional and subverses that I absolutely adored. This felt like it had a full hero's journey in about 24 minutes. And they have actually said in behind-the-scenes interviews with Production IG producers, they would love to see more of this. So I, for one, would I'd love a mini-series starring this cast of characters. Uh, like, I'll say, like, a one-core series with this yeah, yeah. story Give would be fantastic. all of that. Eject that shit into my Metachlorians. So, just for anyone who isn't as into the Star Wars fandom as we might be, um, so, Gabe. Yes. Basically, the idea originally behind Star Wars lightsabers is the kyber crystal's color is actually fairly static once the once the force user has supposedly imprinted yeah. onto the onto the kyber crystal itself and then it gets cha- it got changed around a bunch to the, the it's 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 now vaguely malleable but the idea is it's still supposed to remain static at least in the mainline universe yes in this interpretation it changes depending on the Force uses connection to the Force. Which I think is the strongest idea. That's, it's so cool. Like, the main protagonist, Kara, which I also, like, I love the design of all of these people. It's like a, a an Eastern Japanese winter village sort of combined with a, a terraformed colony. Um, her saber that she picks up is kind of like a clear, almost darkish color. You can't really see it. But the, the, the more experience she gets in battle and the more determined she becomes, it becomes more clear with the eventual emerald color it takes. And that's a really nice visual indicator. There's a lot of really good visual storytelling in this short. The speeder bike chase is one such example. It's so fun. It is so goddamn fun. The the mix between 2D and 3D is at times seamless. I This is some of the best thing Kameyama has done in years because he was well known for breathing new life into the Ghost in the Shell franchise in the mid-2000s, and has kind of been one of the main helms of it, for better or worse, depending on recent acquisitions. But I, um, I, I think this is the best thing This is the best thing he's done in possibly, like, half a decade. Yeah. It, it, it was, yeah, it was fantastic. I honestly, like you said, I want to see an extension of this this interpretation of the universe. What happens when the light for the... For, Force Saber changes. The problem is deeper Star Wars lore, which I don't want to get into. No, that's not a problem because Star Wars has been overwriting its canon since fucking 1978. Not so. the not the underground underlying philosophy, because apparently that's managed to stay relatively static. Which neatly ties us 
into trivia question number four. You can, you've had two trivia questions in a row, young man. It's my you, turn. Yes, go ahead. Yes, it is All Jay's right. turn. I was thinking... Okay, confuse me with your ridiculous ideas, right. friends. In the Star Wars universe, there are literal manifestations of the light and dark side of the Force that are weird Lord of the Rings people that live in their own pocket dimension. It's an entire arc of the Clone Wars where they just straight up say, yeah, the Force is just a, a bunch of... Of, of Lord of the Rings old old people who live in this sunny triangle paradise. And there's a dad who who is literally balanced. <laughs> yeah, this all sounds ridiculous enough to, to work, yeah. Uh, yeah. Alright, two and a half points to Gabe. I think we'll do one more and then we'll see. We'll see who wins that. I'll let you take the last all one. Alright, wonderful. So we're moving on to the first chore by Sian Saru. It was a studio that's really coming up nowadays, but they're only just getting the recognition they deserve. Yes. yes. So this is directed by uh, Abel Gungara and uh, written by um, Yuichiro Kido. And essentially, what if Astro Boy was a droid Jedi is the whole premise of this, and it's so delightful. It is. It's so sweet. It's so lighthearted. It's so fun. It's got that right just tinge of bittersweet poignancy to it. It's and it's, it's extremely Tezuka, not just in terms of just the rounded Astro Boy-esque aesthetic, but also the themes of science triumphing. Yeah, it's also extremely Yuasa. Yes, yes. It just follows that whole very simple, rounded animation style, but it's so cartoony and so colorful and so fun and so bouncy. I'm a very cynical person, as can be told by, uh, told by my hatred of Tatooine Rhapsody. Yeah. You read politics for fun. Yeah! I think, I think that should be an indication of how cynical you are. I can tell you even I loved this one. I thought it was one of the best ones of the series. It's, um, it's an absolute joy. Yeah, yeah, this is right behind Knife Jedi for me as the best one. Uh, it's just it's it was a fantastic joy because they set up everything really well. The pacing was, as we've mentioned earlier, a little messed up toward the end, a little bit rushed, but it felt earned. And the one unique thing about this ver uh, this episode of the series compared to the others was that the way Tob One, because I want to call him Tob One rather than Toby, uh, as he's clearly or Tobin, however you want to say that. Insert reference to the cult classic anime Roots. Oh my! Like oh to, to, my. Toby is straight up an Astro Boy reference, but oh, we will yeah. we will gloss but over that. To put it simply, the he the way he became uh, more attached or felt more one with the Force was not by trying to fight a bunch of Sith people or evil people, but by growing the world around him. That's how we cheat. That's how we fight. That's how we change things. Not by killing what we hate, but by saving what we love. Friendship. Nothing can destroy friendship, even more powerful than Chuck Norris it is! Exactly. Anyway. So how many of our eight viewers are gonna get that reference? <laughs> this is the mo I think this is the raw distillation of how chaotic you and I particularly get when we talk about Star Wars. Yeah, if it. Yeah, we love it a bit too much, or know too much about it. I feel like checking myself into a fucking clinic after this. So no, this this is fantastic. And the <clears throat> my final point of this is the fact that if anything, this kind of felt like a Star Trek episode. Like my joke earlier in the episode aside, there's this theme of triumph through science and terraforming and experimentation is also the key to emotional balance. It's very Trek, and it's very nice to see it in Star Wars. Frankly, like yeah. this 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 fusion of science and mysticism. 
was a better melding of science fiction and science fantasy than the Metachlorians ever were. Oh, absolutely. So, moving on to the second studio trigger entry, which you would not guess by looking at it. Trigger is known for its sort of simplified angular style of the likes of Kill the Kill, the likes of Promare, but it also has other works that are a little different. Trigger has tried to branch out from its bombastic Gynax-infused roots. to stuff like uh, Kisniver, stuff like uh, SSSS Gridman, for instance. You two loved this. This was the elder directed by Studio Trigger, specifically in the director's seat and in the writer's room, was uh, Masahiko Otsuka, which is, despite... It's another samurai story, but it's kind of more philosophically in line with the motivations and metaphors for what it means to sort of adhere to a Bushido code and what it means to pass teaching down. Now, I'm going to let you two gush about this because I like this one, but I have more criticism than... Uh, No, you know what? Mine is very Star Wars theory heavy, so you go... I like this short a lot. It is not the most interestingly... It's not the best animated, and it's not got the best story. It's not got the best music or anything like that, but it has something very different. It has a a certain feeling to it. Like, it... It really encapsulates a side of Kurosawa that if we say the duel very heavily leans on things like Yojimbo and Seven Samurai, which are Kurosawa's much more fast-paced, energetic sort of films that are dealing with sort of like bottom of the ground samurai. The feeling that I get from this short leans a lot more to something like Ran where it's very a lot slower, it's a lot more methodical, it's a lot more philosophical, and it doesn't delve into anything too deeply. It keeps the story very simple. It's about a Jedi and a Padawan, since a disturbance in the Force, and fly down to this planet and go after an old man. And I don't know what it quite is about it, but there's just something really interesting, really beautiful about it that makes it stand out from the rest of the shorts. Just its simplicity and the kind of themes that it tackles, these themes of just the passing of life, of this person used to be powerful and is no longer, I am powerful, but one day I will not be. You are not powerful, but one day you will be. It's kind of beautiful. It really leans on that passing of time philosophy that I find very interesting. Yeah, power and futility was definitely the highlight theme of this particular episode. Like, here's the thing. I liked this. I think the, like, contrary, we might as well mention this up top now. Um, Disney didn't do the best job of distributing this. And the biggest crime is the fact that there's no option for subtitles to the Japanese track. The ah. only thing you get is closed captions. So essentially you're watching yeah. dub titles to the Japanese audio track. Which are massively out of time. Yes. So weirdly it creates an incentive to do torrenting, but like that's a- And it would be it would be f- okay if all of the dubs were good but it's very the, the voice work is very sporadic i think the duel has some of the best voice acting in the compilation i will say that i watched the duel in japanese um with normal subtitles not fucking the shit disney plus ones um and it fit on our end the problem that we encountered was not everything was fine most of it was fine because sometimes you have people who have experience in voiceover like neil patrick harris has numerous voiceover roles so naturally he fit well in the trigger sure but a lot of these people are kind of 
attempting to mumble along. And the irritating thing is, is there are voiceover veterans like Patrick Seitz and Stephanie Shea in the background that are given like a few lines that sell their background bit parts better than some people do in their main roles. So, and it's very infuriating. Yes. For 99% of these shorts, it's a terrible fucking thing. But uh, I wouldn't say 99%. I'd say more 30 no, no, no. What I mean is, like, 99% of the time, if you get a rookie or a more muted mm. or less um, experienced voice actor and you put them in the main role and then just put the veterans, the people who know what they're doing on the side roles, it feels like a wasted opportunity. Early Ghibli dubs are a very good example of this. Yeah. Well, actually, that's the comparison I made earlier. It, w- it felt like in the beginning, like they got one of the a 2005 dub actor to do the main role of the master in the elder. And I said, wow, that's super weird. It sounds like he's super uninterested and doesn't care about what's going on. But I think there's a subtlety to that. I, I oh, would agree yes. with his characterization. There's, an, uh, there's a wizened experience. There's the, the, there's the idea that it's sort of, a, it, there's a pondering, almost regret. Like it's communicating through this subtle, gruff vocal performance that this dude sees some shit. Yeah, that that's why I was like, ooh. That's why it really grew on me, and I started to love that. Mm. I also love this for the different synchronization that it has, which is that, basically, in the Star Wars universe, you turn to the dark side to obtain power, mm. and in the <clears> by following <throat> the light side, or the Jedi path, or however you want to consider it. I follow the Church of Scientology. It's where all my $4.1 billion went. Please support my Kickstarter. Wait, is George Lucas Scientologist? I believe in higher power. They, they said they'd give me ultimate CGI technology so I could recreate my family and look at them even more beautifully. I will reject my flesh and become one with Saru. Xenu, get it right, faker! Oh no, I gave my money to the wrong group. Oh, I, I wanted to donate to Scientology, not Disney. <laughs> I gave I gave it to the wrong evil corporation. So George Lucas has pushed the boundaries of cinema, and now he is pushing the boundaries of the post-human. I'm also pushing the boundaries of my rent. It's due any day now. Please donate to my Red Tails 2 kickstart. Look, George, I'm pushing the, I'm pushing the boundaries of your mum's ass, so get the fuck out of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting that. I was not expecting. <laughs> George Lucas just, just he just he he collapsed into just a cloak. He became one with the force. Like you know, you dissed him so hard, he became one with the force. <laughs> he he got that. He became a force ghost all all yes, through just did. the power of that insult. But yeah, the idea is you're supposed to let go of power and become one with the world. And through that, you actually attain a sort of immortality, which is ironic because many Sith choose the path of darkness because they're trying to attain power and to a certain extent, immortality as well. Is it possible to learn this power? Not from a Jedi, which is why I use Skillshare. Skillshare is a useful website that you can- We are not plugging Skillshare until they give us a paycheck. Use my coupon code SHEEV10 to get 10% off your order. Palpatine, get your own podcast! I do have my own podcast. It's called The Dank Side of the Force, starring me, Dank Sidious, and my co-host, Darth Vapor. That's not a bad name for a podcast, I've got to say. I've got to be honest, for a weed podcast, that might not be that bad. Yo, you remember when a bunch of teenagers destroyed the Death Star? Oh, that shit was fucking whack. Dank Sidious and Darth Vapor are like like the 
like just a, a weed podcast that invite conspiracy theorists on. You see, Alderaan was an inside job. You see, with the the laser actually hit hit the planet's surface before we fired. Like you know, surely turbo lasers can't melt steel beams. I feel as though we might be getting a bit yeah. off topic. Okay. Yeah, we need to wrap this the fuck up. We need to move on to the other one. Just finish up. Basically, the imper- the idea of power and impermanence and uh, pursuing the different paths to get there is super fucking interesting. The fact that the Jedi Master himself acknowledged, actually, if the, the dark side user that he fought had, was in his prime, he might be screwed. And he was like, I didn't beat him, time did. Mm. And so it was like, oh shit, that's, that's actually like super fucking interesting. And it was, and the way the mute, the muted pacing of the whole episode really vibed with that whole thing and it coalesced together really well. I think the best, from a filmmaker's perspective, the best way to describe what happened in that episode was patience. Yeah. They had the patience to let the viewer like really yeah. soak in um, what was going on, what was being said. That's a big part of what I feel like makes it stand out from the rest of the episodes is that a lot of the yellow shorts are very fast paced, very, try, almost feels like they're trying to fit in as much as they can. Whereas the elders just kind of happy to just let it sit. Be like, no, we're just we're just gonna take our time. Yeah, it was it was honestly like yeah, I think that's what really gave it that edge. Sadly, this is where we have to uh, highlight the one negative of the show. It's probably the the least. This is where I come in. The animation is somewhat static, but my problem isn't animation per se. I don't think Trigger got the right lighting and shading engines down in this particular short. A lot of characters have very shoddy line work, and I don't think this is down to artistic negligence. I think this is the fact that everything the characters are lit too brightly, but the backgrounds they don't really mesh with. They seem very synthetic. If anything, they seem like anime animated in the early 2000s when the industry was trying to get its grips to digital anime filmmaking for the first time. So if you watch a lot of anime from that area... Uh, lighting and color gradients can seem very off because an entire industry migrated to a new technology. And I think this this is very evident in this, and I don't know what went wrong here. I don't know. I'm not sure, but I don't... I can... I agree to an extent that I, it's the least interestingly animated. Yeah, the, the visuals are very generic um, and it's very muted, which kind of fits the episode, but yeah. at the same time, it's still... I don't think it's that big of a negative. On a personal level, I don't see it as that big of a negative. No, I don't think so either. It's still one of my favourites of the whole series. So, mm. yeah. So moving on to the, the penultimate short, Lop and Ocho by Geno Studio, directed by uh, Yuki Igarashi and uh, penned by... Um, Sayawara, which is probably their pen name. So, Gabe, you really liked this one. Yeah, I love this. this I have great. a little bit of a thesis about some of this one. You were alright about this one, Vic. Yeah, I was mad about it. To tell you what, I will go first with my particular thesis, because it's not very long, and then Gabe can okay. take the rest of this. So, the two biggest themes in this are inheritance does not necessarily equal through bloodline, and the second thesis is we see a world where it's a very traditionalist Japanese village aesthetic coming to sort of blows with an industrialist mining imperial facility. And to me, that may or may not refer to a metaphor for Japan's historical state where it's battled 
with technological innovation through traditionalist purification. So essentially what I mean by this is Japan is a nation that's kind of been locked in a battle between valuing its culture and preserving its traditions and being at the forefront of technological developments. Like, for instance, Japan has one of the best subway systems ever known to man. It also uses fax machines. Japan has an incredibly high environmental efficiency. It is also a cash-based society. Japan is kind of this weird sort of limbo fallacy of technology and tradition constantly battling for control. It has an aging population and yet a youth who were trying to rebel against that semblance. And to me, it's, it seems like this short is maybe not entirely, but at least commenting a little bit of that. Um, yeah, I when Jay said this to me, I disagreed with him strongly, and then I watched the thing again, and then in some ways I disagreed with him even more strongly, and then in other ways I sort of saw what you was getting at. Um, it's I don't agree with it, but I understand where he's coming from. I think in some ways the entire Star Wars series has always been a sort of nature versus uh, technology sort of fight. It's been like that since literally the first movie. Well, I'd argue that they wouldn't have the same cultural connotation, so it doesn't mean more, because George Lucas was like, oh, cool samurai movie with lasers and gay samurai. But this is like, yeah, sir, imperialism's a bit fucked, eh? I can see your... I agree with you to an extent. I think that this film is commenting on that theme. Also, the Empire represents the United States in this particular instance. Oh, no, this is like, I wouldn't say that this, interp like Jay's interpretation is, oh, this is what it is. It's just like, oh, this is an interesting reading. Oh, no, I understand but, that. I understand that. I just, I, I think it's uh, discordant in a few too many ways, uh, so I just don't get that reading. I sort of see where you're coming from, but I, I'd have to, if I had to buy Jay's idea, I'd have to buy that it's more capitalism itself. Like, if you thought of it in that sense, I'm 100% in. Like, that looks right. But, um, oh, I can't, I can't help but agree. Like, this is obviously true, because capitalism is the juggernaut that it is. But the weird thing about framing it as America is that, especially in the modern age, Japan has, ve has a very strange relationship with the US. My sense in the show, in this episode, is that this has very much been, for me, what you were talking about with The Ninth Jedi, of... This feels like a pilot for something a lot bigger, and I really want to see more of it. Um, I love the aesthetic of the village and the design of it. It immediately reminded me of the Hidden Leaf Village from Naruto, and that just hit some spark in my little childish heart. I was like, yes, I love this. I think the plot's good. I think the themes that it deals with, especially with the sibling relationships and families, like questions about family, questions about her, like inheritance it, it it's great it's animated beautifully it's got some fantastic action sequences it's a really cool look again another side of the star wars universe it's just that hey this is just the empire encroaching onto like this is the empire doing imperialism and this is what it looks like and these are the consequences and this is why people respond to it i think it's a great short i'd highly recommend it to anybody as one of the standouts from this entire anthology so that's that's what i would have to say on that short all right, before we get to the final short in our retrospective, it's time for game trivia question number five. All right, this is this is the money. Since uh, George Lucas has been making a bunch of cameos, it's very appropriate that we end about a question with him. All right, true or false? George Lucas, through his various meddling, 
and obsession with a specific Twi'lek Sith character was solely responsible for the cancellation of a Darth Maul third-person action game in 2012. Yeah. Bang, 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 bang! And Gabe has won! George Lucas, through his fetish of Darth Talon, a weird Tweedek science, a fucking Sith woman from the Star Wars Legacy comic series showing up in this Darth Maul game despite the fact they are 350 years apart, single-handedly cancelled a cool Devil May Cry Star Wars game that never came out. Thanks, George! What Instead, we got Force Unleashed 2. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm I'm completely serious. Um, it's very well documented that George Lucas had a heavy role in fucking up a lot of Star Wars video games. If you look up footage of the Star Wars game, it looked sick. It was gonna be R-rated, you could bisect people in half, it was gonna be about Maul's days in the underworld as like a Sith apprentice. This one's fucking great! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Here's what he did. He took a Darth Maul action figure, and he took a Darth Talon figure, he put them together and said, Oh look, they're friends now. And the writers are like, uh, George, she, she lives like 300 years apart from him. Oh, no, they're friends now. God damn it, George! The next time you complain about, oh, woke Disney ruined the franchise, remember who used to fucking own it. Let's, let's give him some credit, okay? As you were telling me before we recorded this episode, mm. Oh yeah, bonus question, bonus question. Alright, bonus question before we finish this retrospective. Which mid-2000s political figure did George Lucas compare Emperor Palpatine to? It was Bush, wasn't it? Would have been hit, like, hitched up. Incorrect! Yep, I was gonna say close but no cigar. George Lucas compared Emperor Palpatine to Dick Cheney. <laughs> okay, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's that's a lot closer. <laughs> My reaction exactly. I, and I was like, literally, George takes Every, with one hand exactly, and gives with exactly. the other. Every time we have a reason to hear George Lucas, immediately we get another reason to love the ever-loving shit out of him. <laughs> yes! <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay, that was that was gold, that was worth it. Let's yeah, finish this right. off. There we go, the final short, once again directed by Cyan Sara, who's honestly knocking it out of the park with yeah, this, is uh, Akakiri, which is directed by Eun-Yung uh, Shao and uh, written by Yuichiro Kido. Now, Gabe, you adored this one, so whilst I... Uh, piss uh you take the reins i i wouldn't say that i adored this i what i said to jay after we finished watching it was that it's the one that's given me the most pause for thought in that this is the only short in the entire anthology that has it, like a diner ending effectively like every other short ends on, if not an upbeat note, on a fairly, a fairly positive. Yeah. This is the one that ends with, oh, this Jedi has just turned to the dark side. And I thought that was really interesting, especially with its placing at the very end. It It's a really interesting short because it clearly has a lot of varying animation influences. You can see influences from, uh, I pointed, I think it's a lot of similarities to Ralph Bakshi's Wizards. Um, Jay pointed out another inspiration that I can't remember off the top of my head. But you can kind of see these genetics from a lot of other animation projects seeping into it. And it it's very downbeat. It's very... Not hopeless, but very, like, things are bad, 
and they're not really getting better. There's also quite a bit of Hidden Fortress influence on this, as in Hidden Fortress directed by Akira Kurosawa, which was arguably one of one of the alongside Flash Gordon, one of the biggest direct influences on Star Wars, the original 1997 film. As in, it has two characters who R2D2 and C3PO are directly based upon, and you can see versions of those character of those two characters in this short as the two old old men who are acting as their guides. And it's really interesting the way in which the whole short plays out. It feels like it's going in one direction and then it goes in another direction. And then it goes, it just jumps around a lot and it's constantly keeping on your toe, on yourself on your toes with what to expect. And it it gives you a payoff, but it's not the payoff you're expecting. It's not the payoff you're wanting. And I think that's really interesting to leave the viewers on that note. It wasn't, I don't think I'd say it wasn't satisfying. No, it's, it's, it is satisfying. Yeah, it's just, as you said, it's an interesting note to leave it. Uh, it really, like, I've, I kind of finished it, and it's the only short in this entire, like, anthology that I've sat and, like, obviously I've thought about all of them because I wanted to talk about them, but this is the one that it's, uh, oh, I have to figure out how I feel about this, and I'm still trying to figure that out. Like... I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, I really liked the dynamic nature of like the fact that the animation, the grading, oh, animation—it's all gorgeous. So production on this just gonna say straight off. Oh, fucking oh, uh, Jay was not kidding when he said they knocked it out of the yeah. park. Absolutely. So for this one, the writer was once again Yuichi Chiro uh, Kido, and and the director was uh, Yu Young Choi. Um, and yeah, it was it was beautiful. And it wasn't just that the animation and the direction were beautiful, but they changed it. There was actual like drastic color changes and like yep. there is a specific scene that really jumped out to me and it's very simple. It is literally just a characters climbing climbing up a mountain in the pouring rain. And that is the visual that struck out to me more than anything in this as a holy fuck, that looks fucking gorgeous. That the art style and the way that that's animated was just proper chef's kiss. This uh, almost tied with the duel for me truly embodies the phrase every frame of painting. Yeah. Because I could have paused it and it would have been a beautiful scene on literally with, any second. Yes, the duel, that was a given. But the reason why I want to uh, specify Akaguri um, in particular is because of the fact that it's actually colored. It's not a monochrome mm. frame one by one. No, they use colors and they really take advantage of it. And even when they aren't like hyper animating it, it still looks beautiful in every frame. Exactly. It's fucking stunning. It is, I would say to Toby and this, this, blah are arguably maybe the best animated in the, the entire anthology just because of how inventive they are, how unafraid they are to try different things, to experiment, to be really lighthearted and flowy and just poppy and exciting with their animation in a way that really helps bolster the storyline that it's trying to convey. Absolutely. The thing that I have to say applies probably worst here, more so than literally any uh, than all any of the other shorts, is the third act is rushed. Yeah. And when I say the third act, I mean like the th- final two minutes. This could this needed like five more minutes. Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, 
possibly ten. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it needed like another five more minutes it at least. It just needed some breathing space for you to deal with the consequences that certain characters. Which is sad because Production IG was the one studio that got to go like full anime episode. I'm not sure why Science Star wasn't granted. Maybe they were happy with it as it was. I think I worked with that is that Production IG was also granted two episodes, but they chose to merge them into one in order to fully more yes, fully that's develop the, the idea. Case. But yeah, basically I couldn't agree. Like it was I couldn't agree more. It's just it was fantastic. It's just that third act. Yeah. I'd say it's not my favorite episode, but I think it's the most interesting. I think that's a statement yeah. I have to wholeheartedly agree yeah, with. Yeah, there's there's a lot to read into here, and more than we're able to talk about in uh, mm. in the closing moments of our episode. Absolutely, mm. and I think holistically, as a whole series, as the whole anthology, the the primary problems seem to be, as I think we've all discussed at some point or another during this uh, podcast, is. The third act is nearly always rushed. It's, uh, yeah, it's really hard to make short films. I think the second one is the fact that they're all sort of lost Ronin Jedi stories, which is cool, but it wears out its welcome after a while. Yeah, I, I can yeah, agree with that. These are all similarly frameworked stories. Um, and yes, they all have their own little niches and spins, and we enjoy that. But as we've, sh- to a certain extent, expressed... We love hearing good stories from the non-Force individuals who live in this world. I would give my firstborn child and half of my kidney for a Sunrise or Bones X-Wing Rogue Squadron animated short where they turn into Macross Valkyries. I'd give both my kidneys for Tag and Bink series. Oh, okay. Uh, If only there was some way we could combine them. (laughs) Tag and Bink, do you remember love? We did it! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, do you have anything to add on Akagiri, Jay? Uh, it's cool how they said, hey, Destiny's a bit fucked. Yeah, that's it. I'm so tired. I'm so goddamn tired. I'm gonna have to edit all of this. So, um, I think that closes out our episode on Star Wars Visions. I would love to see a follow-up on this. Whatever direction they go, uh, the history and impact on anime has not been forgotten in a galaxy far far away and i think the force is definitely strong with this episode live long and perspire good night everyone too late to give you back my receipt is gone and i'm starting to look back at everything that's going wrong Know how I used to long to hold you in my hands Such a shame it took six weeks shipping directly from Japan Not gonna lie, you were kawaii, but now your paint job's chipped away Shining glass once put my family in strife For what I owe to you I swear I could die All these body pillows I left hanging dry Oh darling, we're a mess Listening to Garuga Mess